So he put me on that with a, a few other Amazon execs. Um, and then I got to know Todd Lywicki through that process. And frankly, I just took Todd out for coffee one morning and said, I don't know what the job is. I don't know what or if you're going to pay me, but there's no freaking way there's a hockey team coming to Seattle and I'm not a part of it. That, that was it. So if I was half my age and like could do anything, I would start like a, a DJ business. All right. I would, no, let me rephrase that. I'd be in the music business and I would be, I would call myself the energy brothers and I wouldn't go at it alone. I would need someone else to be my energy brother. And I got to tell you about a month or two ago, Maybe it was a month ago. It feels like a lot longer. In Banff, in Canada, enveloped in Canada, you're stuck in these mountains. I ran into this guy named Todd Humphrey, and it was like instant. I was like, I love this guy. He's cool. He's real. And then I learn he happens to be the SVP digital innovation and fan experience for the Seattle Kraken. And I knew right away, I was like, how am I going to find a way to get this guy on the podcast? And you're like, dude, tell me when. Tell me where to be. <laughs> so I'm so pumped to have Todd Humphreys here with us today. What's up, man? Uh, it's good to be, be here, man. I uh, I felt the same way. And that was actually before coffee, because as I, re as I recall, we were actually on our way to pick up a coffee. And it was about 8.30 in the morning. And uh, yeah, we were stuck in the mountains, but we were at a spectacular hotel at a wicked conference. And uh, it was it was great to meet you too. And uh, I'm excited to be here. I love doing this stuff with people that are just real about it all. Yeah, and but look, if the guys at the gathering are listening, we'll give them a shout out. They'll be like, guys, it's not a conference. It's not a conference, it's an event. And they're right. I mean, it, it wasn't a conference. It was, it, it was a really special place where we could actually keep it real. There wasn't like, Networking. It was just people being people. Well, and I think I owe myself uh, a Canadian dollar because I was the one on stage that said, anybody that refers to this as a freaking conference owes a dollar uh, because you're right. Now, I, I wasn't as familiar with the gathering uh, before this. And I will never miss one. I just felt like it was a really special week. And you use the word special in, in a variety of ways, but it just, there was something about the energy of that place, the people that were there, the, the reason they were there. Um, I just, I thought it was a really cool, unique use of time and the energy overall. So, you know, in, in the spirit of keeping in the special theme here, yeah, you've had a pretty special year. I mean, this isn't, it hasn't been just one year for you. It's sort of been a, I think you, the official starting date of the Kraken, Seattle Kraken was December 4th, 2018. So you're like, you know, this is, this is many years in the making. I think I read somewhere the, the, like pull the string. It's like 1917. We want to bring the Stanley Cup back yeah. to Seattle, right? Is that correct? Yeah. And I can tell you, I will never forget the day. We got this franchise granted to us. It was at the Board of Governors meetings. I was lucky enough to be there. We were in Sea Island, Georgia. It was December 4th, 2018. And I'll never forget that day because it was my 50th birthday. Oh, get out. Oh, that's a good so, day. It was like the most magical 50th birthday. I woke up in this beautiful place, walked into an NHL Board of Governors meetings, which I'd never been to, and got to then, you know, our team got granted and then, you know, walked around the table and met all the other executives and general managers and presidents and CEOs from the other teams. It was just like, it was mind blowing to me. So uh, my my daughter said to me, dad, it, it took you until you're 50, but you finally made the NHL. 
<laughs> I love that. Are you a kid? Are you a player? I mean, you played? I did. Yeah, I played uh, all the way through. I grew up in uh, in Oakville, just outside of Toronto, and then uh, played all the way through. Played four years varsity hockey at Western, and then I played four years minor league hockey after that. So I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm a player, and then got uh, got out of the game for a long while, but um, you know, was able to get back in at this at this stage of my career. You know, when I think about the Seattle Kraken, you know, there's so much to take away from what you've already experienced and i want to get into the brand but i I want to start with you like 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 talk to me about how you joined the team like how did this opportunity come up and and like what do you do about building trust at the the highest level with the executives and i think i read somewhere by the way the the lywicki brothers are were very much involved in this which is ironic because i'm doing a lot of work with landon donovan and he loves tim lywicki just absolutely loves the guy yeah yeah walk me through like i mean how much fear do you have meeting this group or was it easy out of the gate well, it's it's a bit of an interesting one, and I use it not because it's me, but because I think it's a good lesson for people. Um, and I've told so many, <clears throat> excuse me, so many younger people about this recently because it's a it's an example of like just fucking go for it. I love that. So in 2017, I was asked to be the hockey representative on a committee here in Seattle. It was a committee for the former mayor, Mayor Murray at the time, um, to look at the redevelopment of the arena. And this arena had all sorts of problems um, in how it was built economically. It's the reason our NBA team left us. And so I got involved in that. um, And it was a really interesting process. Through that, got to know Tim Laiwicki. and Todd had not joined the the venture at that point, but I got to know Tim. But seven months later, Tim reached out to me and said, "Hey, do you know this guy named Andy Jassy? He's uh, the the you know CEO of AWS." And I was like, "Actually, I do. Andy and I go way back." So I took Andy um, for breakfast with. It was a great group. It was Tim, his business partner Francesca. Uh, Mr. David Bonderman, who is our majority owner, and Jerry Bruckheimer. And so I had this moment, I got to tell you, man, like I had this moment of like, how did I land at the breakfast with these people? And it was an extraordinary conversation. Andy became one of our minority owners here, became very, and is very involved in what we're doing. And he's now obviously the CEO of Amazon. And he formed a tech committee to look, really look at how we use technology to redefine the fan experience. So he put me on that with a a few other Amazon execs. Um, And then I got to know Todd Lywicki through that process. And frankly, I just took Todd out for coffee one morning and said, I don't know what the job is. I don't know what or if you're going to pay me, but there's no freaking way there's a hockey team coming to Seattle and I'm not a part of it. I love Uh, that. That that was it. So like when you're sitting at that breakfast, I'm curious, as the conversation sort of unfolds, you're, you're like, it's kind of like a pinch me moment, but also like you, you know, you have a role to play at that breakfast and like, what yeah. lane do you end up taking at that breakfast? You know, the, the lane was very much for me an introductory, you know, Andy, meet Tim, Jerry, David, Francesca. Um, but at the same time, it was trying to, you know, participate. I never love when people show up to meetings and say nothing. Um, and so we started talking about technology and Andy looked at me and said, you know, how do you imagine we could do things differently? And what do you as a hockey player, a hockey fan think about? So I think it's a matter of, you know, being respectful and at the same time, not being quiet. And I think a lot of people get sort of hung up on, 
oh, I can't talk because Jerry Bruckheimer is sitting here. Well, you know what? Jerry Bruckheimer is one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. He's a huge hockey fan. He just happens to make a bunch of movies that I love. And I'm not afraid to tell him that either. I did ask him if I could star in Top Gun 2. And without missing a beat, he looked at me. And I'm, I'm six foot four. He looks at me and he goes, you're too tall. Can't fit in the planes. <laughs> what would your, uh, what your, what have your, your Maverick name been? Did you get a name? Well, it's funny. I did this. Uh, we're doing some behavioral assessment of all our people. And um, I got my score back yesterday and, and the tagline was Maverick. And I was like, that's it. It's it's meant to be. So I don't know, man. It, it would have to be something about being Canadian. So I, I'd have to give that some thought. Well, what I love about the story already, I, I don't know. I feel like curiosity always wins out, like proactive curiosity always wins out. And there, there really isn't a stupid question as long as the other person's cool too. And it's like, look, this might be a stupid question, but blah, 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 whatever it might be. But going back to that lane commentary, it sounds like you're the connector, but you also like, because you played hockey, you understand, you truly understand the sport. And then you have this tech background. I can sort of see why this is like this role, right? And again, the, the title is, Digital SVP, digital innovation and fan experience. It kind of takes everything you've done, right? Did you did you write your title or did someone else write it? Uh, I, I may have had a hand in it because th- this this role to me, aside from it being in my mind the coolest job on the planet, um, with an incredible organization, it brings together all these things that I've been doing. I've been doing technology. I've been doing tech startups. This is the biggest, most well-funded startup I've ever seen or been a part of. And on top of that, it's overlaid with hockey. Um, And I've become very much over the last 10 to 15 years, really focused on working with extraordinary people and finding leaders, you know, who are early in their career, mid-level career later. Like, how do you find those people and bring them together and elevate everybody? So for me, this is a compilation of all the things that are, you know, I've kind of been working towards. And I really feel so lucky and blessed to be here because with without all the different pieces occurring all the way along, you don't end up here. And it's a it's just a really phenomenal opportunity. And again, it's I feel like I've threaded the needle. Um, and at the same time, I look back and go, yeah, but all these different elements of my career led me here. So as this team's coming together, like you're you're also building your Ocean's Eleven team, right? I, as as like this thing is is moving and progressing forward, let's talk about the crafting of the Kraken. And you know the amount. It sounds like hundreds of hours. I think I, I read you actually audited a hundred thousand fans that came in and had a point of view on what the name would be. And and then uh, and the fact that there was no leak. And I'm not here to hate on any other leagues or teams. I just, I'm giving, I'm being, you talk about being vulnerable. This is a courageous podcast, right? I'm being vulnerable. I mean, I'm a Washington commanders fan now. Yeah. And that's, it's been a, a tough 20 years and the, the leak couldn't have been any bigger. Like it was, we knew months, like we saw the actual, there was a helicopter over yeah. the store and so on. So I'm not here to, you know, throw shade, but you guys kept it tight. Yep. Walk, walk me through like the process and then the reveal. It, um, it's one of the things we're most proud of. We didn't, you know, the Climate Pledge Arena name didn't leak in that deal. And that was a big one for us and for Amazon. And then the biggest one, of course, was was the Kraken. And we are super proud of the fact it didn't leak. Um, it goes to show the people and the quality of people we've got here. Because, listen, everybody knows someone, right, especially in this industry. 
it's really easy to, you know, become that person that says, hey, here's the name. Um, and so the fact that we didn't leak it was important to us. We did go out to 100,000. Well, we went out to the public and said, if you've got an opinion, give us give us a name, a, a, an idea. And we had more than 100,000 submissions. And we whittled that down. Um, and we put them in, in groupings of like, highly probable could be's and never going to happen. Um, and, you know, there was, there was hundreds that were really, really good. Um, and so then we whittled down and whittled down and there was, you know, there was a bigger group and then it got smaller and smaller. And as we got into the sort of 10 to 15 possible names, we, we kind of extracted a few people from that. Um, and it was just, you know, you want to keep it tight. You want to not put that pressure on everybody because it was months, um, not just days or weeks. It was months where people knew the name. And then we got into the logo and the Wait, uniform. How, how tight? Yeah. I want to know how tight was the group that really knew? <clears throat> I would say it was less than 10 people. Wow. Yeah. So it is tight, you know, and then, and then logo, obviously I think you guys, Adidas, is that who you brought it? Like, did they help on this project? Yeah. Adidas helped. We had a couple other groups, a group here in Seattle called Perch Partners. Adidas is obviously the uniform designer for the league. So then you're into colors. Um, and for us, we, you know, you look at the Seahawks and the Sounders and some of the others, you know, it's green and blue and it makes sense with, you know, ocean meets forest here. Um, but we wanted to go a different direction in part because our, one of our closest, well, our closest rival the Vancouver Canucks are green and blue. So we weren't going there. Um, and frankly, we wanted to do something a little different. And so when you look at the colors that we instituted, um, there is, it's very much a Seattle feel. It's an icy, it's a watery color. Um, and there's this red eye that we can talk about as well. So, but then you've got the integration of colors into uniform, into logo, and all it takes is one person with an iPhone going click, send, and it's out. Um, and so we are really proud of not just ourselves, but our partners and keeping it tight because it was a moment in time and just watching people's faces when it unveiled was, it was awesome. Uh, but it was, um, it was a big secret and we're proud of it. I mean, how many times in your lifetime are you going to get to do something like that? And, and the city, like, look, being in San Diego, I, I work with a number of different sports franchises down here. There's not that many, so you can guess who they might be. But, like, I, we, I think we as a city down here, and I love San Diego, but here's the conversation that always happens. I live in San Diego, but I'm from blank. And they take their identity from where they're from. Like, I, my identity – like I, I root for all my Washington teams, but I, but my time in New York, I get my identity is that I just yeah. happen to live here. Yeah. Seattle does not have that problem. Like people, there's pride in Seattle. It, or it sure feels that there's pride in Seattle. Do you, is that how you see it? It's, it's really, it's a great way to frame it because, you know, I'm from Toronto. I'm a, I'm a pained Maple Leaf fan, right? 55 <laughs> years with no cup. And I gave it up last year, thankfully. Um, but it's, um, there are a lot of transplants here. When I moved here 22 years ago, I mean, this city was a third of the size of it as it is now. So a lot of people have come here, but what I've noticed, and I'm one of these is when you're here, you're a fan. And I might be a Toronto Blue Jays baseball fan, but man, I'm a Mariners fan now. And you might be a Dallas Cowboys fan, but if you live here, you're probably going to be a Seahawks fan. Um, and so people really get behind their teams and 
as a bit of an understated underdog city, this city really throws themselves into a brand, into a team, into an organization. And we've seen that out of the gate here. So at the same time as we've got a lot of people who like, like when the Bruins come to town and Boston's here, you know, there's a lot of our fans that'll wear their Bruins stuff, but the other 40 home games, they are all cracking all the time. So it's a really interesting mix. So talk, you talked a little bit about the logo and the making of the logo. And I, and I, I'd also love to hear just in the spirit of the Jersey. I mean, I don't know what you can share and what you can't share, but I'm sure merch is through the roof. It has to be through the roof. So I don't know what you can share. Let's, let's start with the logo. Yeah. And and that little eye. The, the eye is an amazing story in that um, up until not months, but, you know, a number of weeks beforehand, uh, there was no red eye. And the red eye, when you actually go side by side and look at it with, with the eye and without the eye, um, it changes the entire dynamic. It changes it from kind of a cool S to really something that's li- it's alive and it's a beast and you can frame it in different ways. And it really has almost movement in this static image. Um, but that came from Mr. David Bonderman, who's our majority owner, incredible businessman, founder of TPG Capital, private equity. And one day he said, hey, what if we just try a little red eye right there? And we did. And it changed everything. And right above that eye, there's a little wave, which is remnants of the, of the sea. Again, it just those little details matter in life and they matter in brand. Uh, first of all, I can only imagine the marketing people at first, like, oh, great. Here we go. Right. The, 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 the brass at the top are telling us to change the logo. But like, and by the way, Bonnerman, UW grad, local yep. grad, right? Uh, and I'm sure it wasn't an I told you so moment, but how open was marketing t- to that little pivot? Extremely. Um, the one thing I've noticed as people get more confident in their careers and as they have more success, they get more open to it. A lot of people think the opposite, right? Where now, listen, I know what I'm doing. We've got this locked in. Our team was wide open to it. And I think, you know, thankfully so, because number one, he's got a lot of money in this thing. And number two, it's a really freaking good idea. Um, And what you see with us now, that red, it allows us to thread all the way, pun intended, thread all the way through our uniform you see a red piping on the jerseys, on the arms, on the on the main part of the jersey, on the socks. You see it in our arena experience. You see it in our merch line. All the way through, you see that tinge of red. So it, it's a game changer for us. I feel like this is my Game of Thrones moment. I've always loved that show. It's like, you know nothing, Jon Snow. It's like, you know, yeah. the older you get, the more you realize, like, I need to keep an open mind and I don't have all the answers. And that's why we're a team is like, is to talk about all this stuff. Now, I guess I should have started here. Maybe the crafting of the Kraken, what the heck is Kraken? And maybe, I mean, I've done the research, but why don't you share in your words so people know? You know, there was a lot of people that thought we should be the Seattle Metropolitans. They won the 1917 Stanley Cup. Well, there's a couple issues. Then you're the Metros. Then you're the Mets. Well, you got the New York Mets, the Metropolitan Division of the NHL. We were just probably never going there. Um, there was this, you know, the the Steelheads, the Sockeyes, so go very fish. There was, our, there was someone in our group that said, you know, fish get caught. 
they get eaten, they get thrown out and they smell and let's not be a fish. Um, oh, wait a minute. Could you imagine just pumping that scent into the stadium? Who doesn't right? want to experience that? <laughs> it, and then you think, okay, well, you've got the Canucks and their logo actually has a big orca in it. And then down south of us, you got the San Jose Sharks. So you've got another fish. So, you know, as we started to think about the Kraken was always one that our fans they a lot of them loved it. There was a small contingent that didn't love it. It is a mythical sea creature, lives off the shores of the Puget Sound, never been seen or has it. You know, how big is it? Um, there, there's just a lot of different elements of um, intrigue and mystery. Um, and it allows us to tell a heck of a lot more of a story than a sockeye does. Um, you know, some of these fish, they swim up river, they spawn and then they die. Right. So, um, great story. We're we're right. Yeah. That's a great story for three seconds. Whereas, you know, part of, part of what we thought about was our arena, 85% of people come into that arena and go down. It is built primarily subterranean. And so with that, um, we tell the story. We've got an incredible set of video boards um, all throughout our arena, and it's a storytelling canvas for us. So when you walk in and you start going down, you actually feel like you're going under the under the sea somewhat. And so the Kraken just, it's mythical, it's, it's fierce, it's a beast. It's never been seen, we'll never show it. We can use a tentacle, um, but it just allows for a lot of storytelling. You know, you mentioned walking into the arena and and what I love about all of it, and maybe when you have, I'm sure when you're in a thousand day journey, which is what it's sort of been, it it goes fast and slow, right? It's like, there's some parts you're like, Jesus, like, can we get to a season already? But then it's just, there's other times where you're just speeding through and you wish you had more time. But the thoughtfulness and the intentionality of even the Climate Pledge Arena, uh, you know, I think it's the first net zero carbon arena in the building in the world and I, and even how you're capturing rainwater on the roof. Can you, I mean, super thoughtful. Can you talk a little bit about how, why this was important, how it all came to be? Yeah, it, uh, it came to be sort of in flight. We went to Amazon for a naming deal on the arena. You know, it, it, it screams perfect Amazon arena and Amazon was really opposed to that. And, and if you think about it, if you've seen their buildings in Seattle and other places, they don't put a name on their building. Um, and so while they market their company in different ways, they didn't want to do that. And eventually they came back to us and, and said, you know, we've got an idea. And what about the climate pledge, which is something that they had started years prior. Um, and it's all about, you know, pushing against companies to go to net carbon zero ahead of the Paris Accord. So rather than 2050 being um, zero carbon, do it by 2040. So really accelerate it by, by a whole decade. And they'd started this pledge that now has hundreds of companies And so we started to talk to them about, could this arena be that beacon of hope in this industry when, frankly, there's a lot of waste in this industry. If you think about the plastic, the water, the uses, the the energy. So we dug in with them and we came to an agreement. Um, and part of it was our pledge as a company, as an, as an arena, that we would be net carbon zero. Um, we were in flight both in design and construction. Uh, we had to go back and, and retrofit and do all sorts of different things. We had to move from gas to electric. We had to go from certain Zambonis to electric. 
You mentioned rain to rink, which is a system we have. We collect rainwater off of our roof. It goes into a 15,000 gallon cistern that sits under underground next to our arena. That water collects, gets filtered, and then utilized to make the ice. Um, you know, we have 75% of the food product in our arena is within 300 miles is where it's um, where it comes from. So all the way through, and we keep track of our carbon footprint. That includes if a band flies in here on three private jets um, and then buses to the arena, all of that gets accounted for in our carbon footprint for that concert. Or the team flies from LA up to Seattle. That's a part of our footprint. So we're very intent on meeting our pledge. We're very intent on leading the industry. And frankly, it's a really cool beacon uh, for us as an arena and as a city, which is very conscientious um, politically and um, environmentally amongst, amongst other things. So it's a really cool thing. And I'm, we're just really proud of it. It is rainwater ice the fastest ice to skate on let's assume so i have no idea if that's true or not but yeah let's go with it all right as of today <laughs> the fastest ice in the nhl rainwater ice it's pretty it's pretty awesome all of the 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 things that you're thinking about and 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 your job kind of that's the job right like when you're thinking about digital experience you're thinking about you know or i'm sure it's not just digital experience it's experience right so <laughs> It's well, over, overall, that, let me touch on, give me one more fact, factoid here around uh, the waste. We had, um, uh, we had a concert in here about may, maybe a month ago, and we went zero waste. And I want you to think about that. Zero waste means more than 95, 96% of waste gets diverted to either recycle or compost. We had people down in the bowels of this place and they were divvying up the the waste. And that's how how committed we are is we had literally employees in hazmat suits doing that. Um, What I love about this, and again, I'm, I'm just trying to think through my own city. Yep. And I love when companies... You know, I do a lot of keynotes now. You do too. That's how we met, right? Like sure. taking taking a stage. And I love when companies are in the X business that happens to sell Y. So like I'll talk about Zappos, right? That you walk into Zappos, we're obviously Tyler, our buddy, and you walk in and there's a sign that says we're a service company that happens to sell blank. Uh, or like Domino's is a technology company that happens to sell pizza. Yeah. And what I love about what you just said and shared I'm, is that you're you're a community company that happens to play hockey. Totally. And, and a community company that listens. So we play hockey in the building. We play basketball in the building, WNBA team, potentially an NBA team in the future. And we have more concerts than we do any other events. And that zero waste that stemmed from is us listening to Billie Eilish, who said, I'm not sure I want to play buildings that aren't focused on this. And so, okay, Billy, well, here's what we're going to do is we're going zero waste. And she was mind blown by this. Right. Um, but it's, it is, it's similar to the, I love the Zappos. I'm a huge fan of that company. What, what Tyler and Tony built, it's incredible. And, you know, we, we're very committed to listening to our community and when things aren't working, we're not afraid to change it. So let's talk about the fan experience. You know, again, listening to the fan, where's the line? Like what percent of the time do you think it's actually kind of funny because innovation and fan experience. And I always, I truly believe this. I think, and I, I'm, I'm ready for a fight. So, you know, I know you played oh. hockey for a few years. So I think data tells you, data is very good at telling you what is, yep. not what will become, 
Not yep. what it's necessarily will become. But you guys have done an exceptional job listening to make sure you're you're hearing what needs to be said. But then there's got to be some places where you're like, well, they said that, but I think what they really meant was so how often are you mirroring what you're hearing versus you're 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 sort of stretching on innovation man you're hitting it bang on here because we do want to be innovative but we want to listen at the same time we we want to do things that are going to be the right decision for our fans maybe even when they don't realize that that's the that's the direction we're going right it's like why are you guys doing this well just wait so we actually started um and andy from amazon you know, we started with what's called a working backwards document and it's an Amazon focused doc. And we spent, I kid you not here, 23 months finalizing this document. And this doc was all around the Afana experience. And we worked backwards from what we call a door-to-door experience from the moment they wake up in the morning, all the way through their day, all the way until they go to the event, come home from the event. How can we make it better? And really where we zeroed in on was lineups because what we discovered is that the average NHL fan, by the time they got on premise, that's after traffic and and transportation, they spent between 50 and 60 minutes in lineups. And that is restrooms, security, ticketing, merchandise, beer, food, other beverages. And they did it before the game, after the first, after the second period. And so we wanted to think about both design-wise, innovation-wise, technology-wise, how do we how do we reduce that lineup by those lineups by more than half? And we really think we've gotten there, um, both through designs in the building and through the the mobile app that one of our teams built. And we spent you know a lot of millions of dollars building that, also that the fan experience would be better all the way through. Can I reserve a urinal at a specific time? Listen, man, I'm not kidding. We talked about that. Like we threw everything against the wall, like everything. And we talked about um, whether it was, you know, saying which bathroom you're going to go to, to reserving to all the way through. And, you know, some of the ideas people go, well, that's really freaking stupid. But at the same time, if you don't talk about it, if you don't raise it, um, then you're never going to at least challenge yourselves. Uh, again, I love the intentionality. I shouldn't be surprised after we've got the fastest water in the NHL. Up in <laughs> Ice water. Uh, and, and so that 23-month plan, obviously, like you said, it's locked, but it really isn't locked, right? It's, oh. it's constantly a living, breathing document. So, like, here we go. We're through your first year, by the way. Congratulations. I mean, the hype. Shouldn't you be in the Bahamas? The season's over. You're relaxing. It's summertime. No? You would think, and maybe some of our players are, and they've they've earned that, but we, we're knee-deep into next year already. I sat through a meeting yesterday where we're talking about, you know, what are the what are the specific nights where we're gonna focus on, you know, black black hockey night? Where's where's Pride Night? Where's Green Month gonna be? Um, so we're knee-deep into planning, and you know, we're even though the season was a success for us from an experiential standpoint everything can get better. And how do we, how do we get better all the way through? So we're, um, we're working our butts off and uh, we're going to, we're going to get there. Todd, I, I always talk about like, yeah, like year one, it's, it's easy to, the city was just so excited, right? So you can, yes, you could finish with 60 points. Thank you to the Canadians for finishing below us. Right. That's cool. But like year two, year three, I mean, the expectations of not just the fans, but of leadership, I'm sure, start to tiptoe up. And yeah, you can win on the ice, but there's other ways to win. Like, how do you control what you could control and how important is it to win? 
listen, I think winning in this industry, winning solves a lot of things. Um, it doesn't solve everything. Um, you know, you look at some other teams around the league and they've had good success and the league is, leagues are built for parity. Um, but we really look at it. We are one company, one team, um, but there's the on ice product and then there's the off ice product. And it's a big distinction because one of the things that we have recognized is that we as a brand like although we're connected to the to the on ice product, we have to have our own brand. It has to stand on its own because if we have a season where we finish in 30th place, the brand's got to continue and the fans got to believe in it. So, um, you know, we winning is is important. Our hockey organization has a has a plan, um, but at the same time, you know, we have to stand on our own and we have to look at the areas that. We- we can get better. So the, the power play may need to improve, but you know, maybe the food and beverage experience needs to improve too. So how does the whole thing coalesce together? Can you give me one place since you're not in the Bahamas while the team is down there? Can you give me one place that you're like really, really focused on for next year improving? <sighs> I think merchandise is one um, merchandise. I just, it, it's now falling under me and I look at our, I look at the experience. People love our merch. We have sold, I believe, more than any other team this year. Maybe not surprising given we're first year. Um, You walk into the building and in the store, it's a line every single game. And we sell a lot of, a lot of merch in there, but how do we utilize technology? We've got it built now into the app where you can pre-order pick up rather than lining up. Um, so I think the fluidity of that experience is, is one area. I just look at like, what are all the pressure points? We, we feel like we've done a really good job on ticketing. There's no delays getting in the building security faster than any other building there is for a variety of reasons, number of doors and the security we use. Um, but then I look at food and beverage bathroom lines, they really don't exist. They're really fast. Um, but merchandise is the one area that I'm, I'm really trying to lean into. You know, when you talk about the importance of tech, how much of your tech like is in-house? Is it all in-house, the whole team? The whole team, yeah. And that's, you know, not always the way it is. Um, some other teams have outsourced a lot, especially when it comes to a mobile app. Um, a lot of teams just buy off the shelf from a, a few different companies. We decided to do it differently because it, we wanted to do things where we could lean in where we needed to, and we didn't want to be constrained. And I'll give you an example. One of the, the challenges of where our arena is in the city is traffic. And if we had 17,000 people driving to this arena, it would be a nightmare. And so our ownership group did two things. One, they gave me the ability to go and hire a team of developers and designers. But more importantly than that, they are paying for every single person that comes to a game that has a ticket to our game, has free public transportation to and from the game. That can be a streetcar, a water taxi, a monorail, light rail, bus, train, it doesn't matter. And so what that does is it alleviates so much traffic pressure and they can use the app that we've built. So it's just, it's the two sides talking to each other. It's ownership saying, let's do this. It's good environmentally. It's good for our fans. It's good for the experience. And we can build this really kick-ass experience in-house that allows that to happen. So we do it all in-house and um, I think we're better for it. You know, I don't want to get you in trouble with the league, but are there any places where the league hampers you where like, hey, look, this is mandated. You got to use this com- this this vendor or this company. The league is awesome, and um, we've you know they've been really good 
to us as we've come in, there, there's really not limitations. They've actually encouraged us to lean into how we want to do things. There, there's certain, you know, sponsorship and other things that are league mandated, but from an experiential standpoint, from a tech standpoint, you know, we, we are an AWS company in part because of Andy and our partnership with Amazon, in part because of the league, and in part because we think it's the best cloud provider. But so there's certain limitations that everybody has, but for the most part, the league, for the majority of it, the league has said, just do your thing, man. So look, uh, I should probably have done this at the beginning and you kind of said it like, you, you know, you played the game and I remember standing next to you, Todd, you're not a small guy. I mean, you're, I mean, I mean, I'm kind of, I'm not a small guy, but I'm 5'11". I think you're like six, six, four, six, five. Yeah. Am, I, am I close on that? Six, four. Six, four ish. But like, I'm sure you still get scared about stuff. You know, this is a show about the courageous podcast and like, it has there been a moment or many moments or oh shit moments or just moments where you've just been like, I'm scared on this one. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Like, can you share one of those moments? Yeah. I mean, how, how, how much time do you have? (laughs) Uh, You know, I, I look at it from two perspectives. One is, if you're scared, there's some excitement there as well. Um, I look at going on stage at the, at the gathering last month. I, I had some nerves around it. You're in front of a really heady group of people uh, who all want you to succeed, but you're still, you, you want to perform. Um, when we opened our building, we had an incredible opening week last year. On Tuesday night, we had the Foo Fighters do a private concert for 14,000 people. Friday night, we had Coldplay do a global broadcast concert um, sponsored by Amazon. And then Saturday night on night five, we had um, our Kraken home opener and I had my entire family in town. You know, my kids are there. Like it was a moment in time and I was scared to death because everything that could go wrong was at the forefront of my mind. It's like, if the ticket scanners don't work, if security is terrible, what if the Wi-Fi goes down? We spent a ton of time, millions of dollars on Wi-Fi to ensure connectivity. What if the app doesn't work? What if they can't download their tickets? What if they, what if they, what if they, so there was so many moments and it's not that there was no hiccups, but man, that's a scary moment because it is very public. I've done a lot of software launches. And the reality is when you do a software company, like nobody really cares. And if it gets delayed a week or a month, it doesn't really matter. But we had to, everything had to be tick and tied together. We were literally like, like dusting the floor three hours before the doors opened. And so all of it had to unfold and it's very public and you've got everybody there, everybody who's close to you and you've got 17,000 people watching. And if the sound doesn't work, that's a problem for the Foo Fighters. Um, so there was, there was a lot of, lot of really scary moments. And again, the excitement that built around those moments for me just wins out over the, over the fear. So take us back to just like, let's say it's midnight yeah. after that first game, home game. Like, do you, is there like a visceral moment or whatever time it might be? Maybe it's 1 a.m., maybe it's 11 p.m. Is there a moment you remember? Yeah. I, I remember after that, after that game, and I still get some chills thinking about it, just hugging my mom. Um, Cause my mom is, 
you know, she's been a hockey fan her entire life. She was a hockey mom. Um, she's an incredible woman and she was there and she got to be there and there was risk that she wouldn't be through COVID and all the rest. And to have her there and experience that game and those concerts, but mainly that game for me, that was just like a, like a, Oh my God, mom, we actually made it and got here. You know, we've had been having Todd Humphrey on with us on the courageous podcast. And usually like, sometimes I like just to turn it over to the guests and since like take us home and 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 i'd still love to do that but i i'm just gonna put uh some words in your mouth like the idea of going for it like go for it don't be afraid to go for it like you got one life open your mouth and ask for the thing you actually want but be prepared if somebody says yes so like to me that's one huge takeaway from this and like if you were going to take us home what else would you add for me, that's the biggest one. I love the word courage. Um, I've got two teenage daughters, you know, one's in college, one's heading off to college. Those are, that's, those are scary moments in life, right? You're moving across the country. Both are going to school in Philly. It's a long way from home and you got to have courage to do that. The easy thing is to stay home and go to the university of Washington. Um, and it's the courage to, you know, reach out to somebody. It's the courage to say hello to somebody that maybe is intimidating to you. It's the courage just to take a job that's maybe a little bit, you know, you're out over your skis on. And I think the word courage is something that if you think about that every day, you know, Jim Valvano, the famous basketball, you know, line, right? A good day is a day that you laugh, that you cry, and that you think. And I think it's also a day that you have some courage. And that courage can come in a number of different forms. And I think that if we can also encourage each other to have courage, it really, because the word courage sits in the the word encourage. And if we can find a way to really wrap each other up and and push each other forward, um, you know, regardless of age, gender, whatever it might be, just help each other out. And I think, but as an individual, like going for it and, and throwing it down and realizing the opportunity may not come around again. And I think it's really important that we encourage each other to do it, but find courage within ourselves. This is me dropping my own microphone. I mean, I love what you just said. Stay courageous, Todd. Thanks for joining us, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. 